comes at you all at once uh, like that in that rapid fire kind of way, it really hits, doesn't it? It hits and it hurts because it hurts to see all that hurt. Uh, you probably noticed that uh, that video was made a while back, and so it didn't include Marjorie Stoneman Douglas from just a couple of years ago. It didn't include Hurricane Dorian over the Bahamas uh, just a few months ago. It didn't include anything from the past month, even the past week, the tornadoes up in Nashville that now have claimed 24 lives, I believe, and coronavirus and, and all the hype surrounding that and all those who've already been impacted and the fear that that has brought to so many. But you can certainly add those to this list, just like you could certainly add your own very personal and your own very close to home, your very real troubles and trials to this list as well, I'm sure. Perhaps even some of the things that you're dealing with are working through, are living in even right now this morning as we speak. I mean, there might be someone in the room whose marriage is just at rock bottom. That might be something that's just recently happened. It might be something that's been that way for a long time, but that might be the reality for one or more folks in this room. Or maybe your children, your grown or young children are going in all sorts of directions except the direction that you hope and pray for them. Or maybe your own life is going in all sorts of directions except the direct direction that you hope and pray for yourself. Or maybe your work uh, whatever it is that you do is not something that you enjoy. You do it every day, but you don't really enjoy it. Or maybe enjoy it. Or maybe you're not finding anything really that you enjoy, whether it's at work, or at home, or at school. If you're a student, or at church, wherever it might be. So fill in the blank with your own kind of stuff. And if everybody did that, we pull all that together and and and, and put it together. We could certainly come up with another video like this, right? In the same rapid fire way of one thing after another after another. We started last Sunday a series called Rescued and Renewed, and it's going to lead us up to Easter. And in this, we're remembering, we're thinking about the reality of the way things are without the grace of God. The reality of the way things are or would be without the cross and without the empty Easter grave. And the reality, the way things are without the gift of being rescued and renewed by Jesus. And the reality of the way things are without hope. Because that's exactly what we are without him. That's exactly the way things are without him. Hopeless. And so... That's, uh, that's what we want to think about. We're not just talking about hope for the next moment. We're not just talking about hope for the next day, for a better and brighter tomorrow. We're talking about and thinking about hope that extends on into forever. Because ultimately, that's what it all comes down to. So the question for you this morning is, how far does your hope extend? When you think about that, especially as a believer, when you think about hope, how far does your hope extend in your heart of hearts? I've been a pastor now uh, for about two and a half decades, almost 25 years. It's hard for me to believe that, but that's the case. Going back to seminary when I was a student pastor on into times 
that I've been a pastor until now, about 25 years. And, and in that time, I've had the very true and real privilege of being a part of the lives of thousands of people, including those on uh, one side of life where hundreds of little babies are being born and nothing like it. But then also including on the other side of life, hundreds of people whose earthly journeys have come to an end in death. So I've been around death a lot as a pastor, as pretty much all pastors have been. Uh, and, and I'll always remember the uh, first death I experienced as a young pastor. I was 24 years old, right out of seminary, wasn't even married yet. And I started this church in Columbia, South Carolina. And within just a few months there, I uh, experienced the first death as a pastor. Her, her name was Elizabeth Helms, and she was seven years old. And she had cancer. I'll never forget it. I always remember uh, getting to know little Elizabeth uh, before, uh, before that occurred and uh, just the blessing of knowing her um, in that whole experience. And there's, there's so many others that come to mind. I've mentioned Mark Niederbrock, my friend, pastor friend of mine, whose uh, life was taken by a 19-year-old boyfriend of uh, his daughter, along with the daughter and daughter's friend and a wife. And um, I had uh, a niece who died the day before she was born, uh, ended up as a stillborn child. A very, very painful uh, memorial to officiate, uh, that one was. And, and I could go on, and you could as well. Death has touched every single one of us, some more than others, and uh, some in much more tragic and I'll say horrific ways than others. And I know that's the case that touches a lot of lives and hearts, even in this room, in this congregation. In, uh, in all my experiences uh, with death as a pastor, and just as a person, and, the, and including the hundreds of people who have died and also those who have grieved their deaths, the loved ones, I've seen such a wide spectrum, such a broad spectrum with basically hopelessness on the one side and a new and living and lasting hope on the other and everything in between. With, with, a, with a kind of a misplaced and a misguided hope in, in some vague spiritual neverland where everybody ends up no matter what, no matter what you believe, no matter what you do, no matter what, everybody ends up there in neverland, so to speak, to, to the, uh, the very perfectly placed and perfectly guided new and living and lasting hope in heaven, the kingdom of God that comes only by the grace of God through faith and trust in Jesus. And so... Considering that broad spectrum, where would you be along the way? From hopelessness to hope, from misplaced, misguided hope to new and living and lasting hope. Where, where is your hope found? And in what or in whom is your, is your hope placed? And like I asked earlier, how far does your hope extend? Some of the best words about hope in the, in the Bible, I think, come from uh, the first century Christian leader, Paul. And we talk about a good bit here. Uh, Paul said this. He said, as believers, we don't grieve as others do who have no hope. As believers, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. Now, we're going to look at uh, some, some more of what Paul said in other, another part of his writing from 2 Corinthians in the New Testament of the Bible. And so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open that to 2 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to be reading from chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. And this is what Paul wrote. 
For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's a whole lot we can say about all that, right? This is about every word, every line. But just a little background. Paul was a tent maker. You may already know that. So he made and he sold tents. He spread the gospel all the time. He also made and sold tents as a tent maker. And so here he's saying that these earthly bodies of ours, they're like tents. They're temporary. It's almost like we're camping out in this earthly journey, in this earthly life, awaiting our true permanent home and the spiritual bodies that God gives his people in heaven. Let me ask you, does that mean that this body, that these bodies are bad, inherently bad? doesn't mean that. Paul says elsewhere that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, be good stewards of the body and the life that God's given us for this earthly journey. Make the most of the body and the life that God's given. With the awareness, though, that it's imperfect, as flawed, that one day in Jesus, it will be fully rescued and fully renewed in resurrection glory. Exactly what that's like, exactly what that will be like, we don't really know. But think about it like this. Heaven is and will be so much better than your very best hope about it. So much better than your very best hope. Just like hell, so much worse than, their, than your very worst fear about it. Heaven, so much better than your very best hope about it. Now, some people say don't fear death because death is just a part of life. As believers, Jesus, in essence, says to us, don't fear death because in me, death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Like we just read, that wonderful line, it has been swallowed up by life, swallowed up in victory. Where all death is your victory, where all death is your sting. These are words of Paul. Death swallowed up by life. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee, we just read. In other words, the Holy Spirit guarantees the truth of heaven by giving us a glimpse of heaven or glimpses of heaven, giving us a taste of what's yet to come. Have you ever had that kind of experience where it's, where it's like you've been given a foretaste of heaven? Like heaven meets earth and you just catch a little bit of a glimpse of that. You know, just think about a couple of maybe examples. There's times when you see and you soak up just that breathtaking and spectacular, awe-inspiring beauty and wonder of God's world around you. And we see that every single day in South Florida, don't we? Just God's majesty written all over every little intricate detail of his wonderful, beautiful design. That's a glimpse of heaven here on earth. 
Are there times in your relationships when your relationship or a number of relationships are smooth and stable and your love in those relationships is strong? That's heaven meeting earth in those relationships. Are there times in worship where you might just be overcome by the Holy Spirit? Whether it's a a song that you're singing or a song that you're hearing or uh, a, a prayer that you're praying or someone else is praying or a message you're hearing or a commitment that you're making, the Holy Spirit just overwhelms you and overcomes you and overtakes you and gives you a glimpse of the glory of God. Or that time when God claims and cleanses your heart as you claim and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. What that is, is heaven breaking into and through your earthly brokenness. It's the Holy Spirit guaranteeing the truth of heaven by giving you a glimpse of it, a glimpse of heaven, a taste of what's yet to come in the here and now. Along those, uh, those same lines, I want to read a little more uh, from Paul's writing, this time from Philippians. So if you have your Bible open, just flip a little further back to Philippians. And we're going to be in chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul writes, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. Paul says, even with tears. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds that are set on earthly things. Minds that are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As believers, our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. And from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So heaven is our home. And where we are right now, this earthly journey, is a colony of heaven. All right? Think about it like that. Heaven's home, here, colony of heaven. Now, the people who are reading this or hearing this for the very first time, the Philippians, the people in the church there in the city of Philippi, they would have known exactly what Paul was talking about here because their city, their home, was actually a colony. It was a colony of Rome. In a faraway foreign territory, in Greek territory, here you have this little outpost of Rome. And uh, so you had right there surrounded by all the Greeks, these, these Roman citizens living in full-blown Roman culture and customs far away from Rome. With the intent being that the influence of Rome would extend and expand to and then through that colony to the territory around it. And so think about that. This, uh, this morning and, and then carry that thought through the week. How can you, as a citizen of heaven, how can you extend, how can you expand the influence of heaven, the influence of the kingdom of God into the kingdoms of this world? How can you influence and extend the, and, and expand the influence of heaven in the colonies, the colony in which you now live? Like the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. How can Grace Community Church be a better, more effective colony of heaven? The influence of heaven extending and expanding to us and then through us to the world around us. And how, can, how can your marriage, if you're married, be a better colony of heaven? How can your family, your home, 
be a better colony of heaven. How can, how can you, your own self, your own life, as a citizen of heaven, how can you better spread, how can you better extend and expand the influence of heaven wherever you are in your circles of influence in that, that colony where you find yourself? You heard what Paul said to start off what we just read from Philippians. He said, imitate me. He started off by saying, imitate me. And he said, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitate me. Now, it sounds maybe a little bit boastful, you know, first read. He's saying, look at me. Keep your eyes on us. Imitate us. Sounds boastful, but you look a little uh, earlier from what we just read. You see, Paul makes it clear he's far from perfect. He's anything but perfect. But think about it. He didn't have a New Testament to refer people to to see it as, an ex- as an example of the way to live and lead the Christian life because he was himself writing most of what would ultimately become the New Testament. So he didn't have a New Testament to refer people to as an example of the Christian life. So he was, he was pointing others to the testimony of his own life, but not to him, to what God had done and was doing in and through him. And pointing others to the testimony of others who, whose lives were humbly led as examples of the Christian life. At the same time, though, you probably picked up on it as we read, with tears, he said. With tears, he was pointing people away from others whom he called, what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, those weren't people that were just in Philippi. Those were people in the church in Philippi, who, whose focus was on the earthly things and not the eternal things. Focus was on the worldly things and not on the things of heaven. And, and they, they were hurting the message of the good news instead of helping. And so think about this, friends. If, if Paul paid a visit to Boca Raton, if Paul stopped in here at Grace Community Church, or if Paul went over to your home your family, to your own heart, what would Paul see and what would he say by you and about me? Would he, would he encourage other people to, to look to you, to look to us as an example? Or would he perhaps maybe save you or save me, enemy of the cross of Christ? I'm tell, that stings to say that. It stings to hear that. And that's what Paul wrote. Some enemies of the cross of Christ. This is what I want to encourage every one of us to do today and, and this week, if not today, myself included, to, to ask God to help us take a, a very real, honest, and humble inventory of the whole of who we are, our thoughts, our words, our actions, to think about what you think about. Think about what you think about, especially in terms of thinking about what you think about that maybe you shouldn't think about. Or also think about the things you don't think about that maybe you should. I know your words. Think about what you say that maybe you shouldn't say. Or what you don't say that maybe you should say. And then what you do, your actions. What you do that maybe you shouldn't do. What you shouldn't do. That What you don't do that maybe you should. There you go. I think I got all that right. <laughs> Taking inventory of the whole of you and then see what God reveals in that. See what he reveals. You might already have the answer. You might know the answer sitting right here now. Take that, give that to God. You might be on the right track and, 
If that's the case, praise God. Maybe you just want to ask God to do even more through you. But you might be on the wrong track. If that's the case, you might want to ask God, you might not, you might, you want to ask God to humble you, to convict you, to correct you, to turn things around. Or, or maybe in taking that inventory, you just want to ask God to give you more and deeper hope or more and deeper trust, especially in, in all the, the hype and the fear of this coronavirus and all the rest. You don't want to be fearful. You want to be hopeful and trusting. And so however God is working on you today, with all this. However he works on you through this week, however, wherever he might be leading and guiding you, if you want someone to talk with, pray with about any of that, certainly always with God, but also with a Christian friend and brother. I hope you'll reach out to me or any of us here at Grace. And we'll we'll give you the chance even this morning. I'm going to pray here as I do every Sunday in our closing song. And if God leads you, uh, if you, if you'd like to Uh, talk and pray about what's on your heart today. I'd welcome you to come forward. Be honored to pray with you and for you. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for your work in us. You're at work, God, and we trust that. We don't know always how and uh, where you're leading us, God, but we know that you do. And so we just want to put ourselves in your hand and ask that you would um, make clear the way that you intend. And so God, help us to be open to taking that inventory of our thoughts and our words and actions to humble ourselves, Lord, that you might reveal to us what you want us to see and to hear. And uh, sometimes it might be painful, God, uh, but open us nonetheless and lead us to find and follow your way. And God, uh, in, a, in a time uh, where so many are feeling uncertainty and um, unease, Uh, about all the hype of um, coronavirus and this and that. We simply pray, God, uh, for hopeful spirits and for spirits that trust in you in uh, this earthly journey and ultimately the eternal journey in in our heart's true and permanent home. And so, Father, uh, we just pray that you will um, open us as we wrap up this time of worship in song and in prayer that uh, your people might go where you lead, that we might be a better and more effective colony of heaven here in uh, the city and in all of our circles of influence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.